HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Monday morning, to, or Monday afternoon to everybody, <laughs> <laughs> whatever we are. We're getting a late start regardless, uh, thanks to Brooklyn traffic today. Yep. Uh, this is another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. And today we are very lucky to have a guest in studio with us, which yeah. is quite a rare treat indeed. Uh, Jeremy Stevenson, who is the cheesemaker at Springbrook Farm in Vermont. Hello. Hello. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. So b- before we even get started talking about anything else, there's these two gorgeous pieces of cheese sitting here on the table. Yes. Not even pieces. I'd say they're wedges. They're giant, giant, giant wedges. Giant wedges of cheese. There's like five pounds of cheese in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us? Uh, you were saying that there's there's a difference. Yeah. These are both wheels of Tarantes, your signature cheese. Well, I brought those down to just to illustrate the seasonal difference that we're seeing now that we've started year-round production uh-huh. um, and the first one is late may just as we were letting the the herd out onto the pasture last uh-huh. year and the other one is late june and you can see a difference in the color and taste wow will follow <laughs> with that appearance the difference in the appearance well, I know this is a, it's horrible to do visual things on the radio, but if you were all sitting in the studio, you would see this wheel from, from late May is quite pale in color. It's, yeah. a, um, it's a little bit, yeah, like a milkier, um, uh, sort of a very soft yellow. And then the, the wheel from late June is quite golden and intense looking. It's a really deep, deep yellow. Um, what causes that? that difference? Well, I'm quite sure it's the grass. It's the keratin in the grass. And... Um, that's giving it that yellow color, not fat, um, but definitely coming from from the pasture. Um, our animals are fed 
hay through the winter now. We, we don't use fermented feed because that won't work with our cheese. Mm-hmm. But um, So they're essentially grass-fed year-round with grain supplement. But uh, there you can see the difference between really nicely made hay and, and fresh grass. It's, it's and, and they're going to get a little bit of hay in the barn, too, when, when they're in the barn. But predominantly, it's grass. And, and does it have anything to do with the fact that it's uh, predominantly Jersey milk? Does that also create a stronger difference in coloration or not so much? Well, yes. I mean, Jersey milk tends to get give that sort of color. But if you uh, that we expect, you know, the sort of the more yellow color towards a yellow hue. But uh, on the other hand, you know, our, our winter cheese is it can be quite pale. Huh. So... Um, it's the grass. It's the the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, and, the grass. <laughs> and I, you know, and what I like about these two pieces of cheese is is that in other ways um, they look very similar. And so we're trying to maintain consistent production practices, which allow uh, allow the uh, uh, seasonal variation to come out. Um, so so we don't want to just make cheese one way one day and and do it another way the next day we make the cheese essentially the same way every day though we do adjust to the changes in components so we we adjust to the milk but we try to be very consistent with our well i can say from experience that your cheeses are very consistent they're always you know they they have that wonderful dense smooth paste of an alpine style cheese and and uh yeah the, the there is a difference in flavor certainly but not one that swings all over the the spectrum um can you uh, can you talk to us a little bit about where this tradition of seasonal cheese making comes from and and how um you guys decided to I guess it's yeah. like a five-part question, but then how you right. decided to adopt that and now why you've gone back the other way to making cheese year-round. Well, I mean, I think to our cheese begins, of course, in the Alps. I mean, um, we have to look back at a thousand years or more of cheese-making practices. Um, and I, I know that you've talked about this before with other guests that, um, you know, this, this was all about food preservation, and having a surplus of milk on a seasonal basis and then making sure that 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 milk could be preserved in some way and so that's why we have this cheese but um the this cheese in in the united states this tarantaise uh began with the putnam's at thistle hill farm um which is quite near to you guys in in about 20 miles away yeah and uh, they they went to France and and learned from a French cheesemaker how to how to produce this cheese and then of course adapted that process to their farm and, and their herd of cows. So we are now a continuation of that on a second farm. And what um, what we're doing in, in going year round is we're trying to make economic sense. Of, of what's essentially 40 milking cows, a small dairy barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would never survive selling fluid milk. We hope to be able to use our cheese-making equipment and the milk that we're, we're getting from our farm to support the farm. 
absolutely um, and yeah. well and 40 cows you know they they do make they make quite a bit of milk for for cheese and for cheese production i mean um it's not a little amount of cheese that you can get from 40 cows no no um but you know um though our cheese retails at a fairly high price uh the actual return that we get is somewhat less <laughs> so uh you know everybody has to get paid for their work in the process of getting it to market so could you break that down for us a little bit that's actually something that we've never really discussed on the show before yeah. like what what are the costs that go into making cheese and how do you figure that into your price per pound when you sell to somebody like me well i think generally speaking by at the end of the day when when you see a retail price um a cheesemaker would be fortunate to be realizing 50% of that hmm. uh, probably less maybe maybe a little closer to 40% mm-hmm. so along the way you have um, a distribution network and possibly even two distributors in between uh, a, its final destination with the retailer mm-hmm. and as you know uh, it costs money to sell cheese yeah and just on the making side of things, like what are the costs that you guys experience on the farm? Um, you know, that go, you said everybody's labor has to be duly compensated. So, yeah, what are some of those those costs? Um, in terms of labor? And well, labor what, and like what it actually costs to produce milk. What does it cost to feed cows and, you know, all the stuff that goes into it? Because I feel like that's an issue with artisan cheese. People look at it and they might shirk, they might shrink yeah. from the price, but right. it's well, quite a lot true. that goes into it. Uh, yeah. We, again, I like to talk in percentages because mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I think in proportions. Uh-huh. And um, so I would say of, of the dollars that that we bring in from selling our cheese wholesale that we are probably seeing 60 percent 60 to 70 percent of that go into our expenses our, our cost our overhead wow but you see it it's a little tricky i mean i can tell you what a pound of cheese costs us to make uh, we're 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 not at break even right now, but as we go into year round production, we can we can hit that hit mm-hmm. that point. So if you're if you're doing making cheese for six months, and uh, you can see how those numbers would work, you you're not those going cows to cover are there all the year round. They're, you've got year round costs, and you yeah. can't tell a cheesemaker to just go and hibernate for six months and <laughs> come back when they want. Although I'm sure you would like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hibernate yeah, well. in a warm place, maybe. <laughs> oh boy! No, it's it's actually nice to be making cheese year round. It's a lot of work. It doesn't stop, but um, you know, it's it's enjoyable. Yeah, Make, making cheese is really great, and you you can stay in touch with your product really well that way. You don't have that. I always thought that that would be hard up. to like have that seasonal change it's like going back to school or something you're just all used to one way and then all of a sudden you know kind of makes your head hurt to try to jump back into it so it's probably nice to have a little bit more of a year-round rhythm yeah i mean i will say you know it's amazing what you do remember after five months you know there's a lot of muscle memory there as well as just you know what's in your head so excuse me in fairness you know i mean i i wouldn't say that seasonal cheesemakers 
are coming back and really scratching their heads, you know. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely. They know what they're doing. Absolutely. But, I guess I was just thinking I'm more of like a, I was, <laughs> if I were a cheesemaker, I know I'd be like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, <laughs> gotta get back at, you know, just a whole nother, it's a whole other routine. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. But so the Tarantez is your signature cheese. Um, and I know you guys recently started making another cheese. Uh, could you tell us uh, about that? And what was the yeah. thought process that goes into that? Yeah. Well, Tarantez, I suppose, I, I guess I'm not clear exactly what the definition of farmstead cheese is. But I would say that it is cheese made on the farm where the milk is produced. That's that's the definition I've always held. Um and so Tarantes is a farmstead cheese. Um, by that definition, we're now making Redding Raclette, which is uh, semi-soft cheese. And we, it, it's nice to make this cheese because it, uh, we can use the same equipment that, that we're using for Tarantes and the same aging space. Um, but what's exciting about it is that we're going to be using the milk from a second farm, uh, which is also quite near. It's within 15 miles. Wow. Um, and that farm has 20 Jersey cows, so it's even smaller than ours. Um, and we've, we've made arrangements with them to buy the milk and, and pay them a premium for, for that milk, buy that milk exclusively. And, um, and you're buying their entire production? Right. Wow. Well, wow. they sell a little bit directly to um, customers that want to buy raw milk at the farm, mm-hmm. and they raise they raise some other animals and use milk for that. But um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be buying what they can <laughs> sell and us uh, for for Riclet. That's that's amazing. And so, what's the history of that farm? Is that like a one of these ancient Vermont dairy farms that's been in the I'm for not generations? so sh- I'm not so sure that it's it's been there. For generations, um, it'd be great to get Lisa Kamen, who's who's the farmer, on to talk to you about that. But uh, you know, she's a very committed farmer that's that's been working with cows for at least fifteen years. I'm I'm sure, and, and maybe you know uh, before then. Uh, and it's again, she's very very involved in selling locally and 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 making a go of it but we're just happy that she has excellent milk and we can use it for for a really nice cheese and it'll help both of us absolutely Um, yeah and um and do you envision uh your production of Tarantes increasing to other farms in the area? For instance, buying milk from other farms to make more Tarantes or maybe doing something like what the Putnams did with you uh, where you would give another farm access to your recipe and, and make the Tarantes spread across more farms in Vermont? Well, you know, I, I can't answer that. Um, I, I would say... <laughs> Looking at what we've got in front of us with year-round production of Tarantes and getting Redding Raclette off and running, um, we've got our hands full. <laughs> so when we crack that nut, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that's a nut across we'll, the bridge when you come. It would to be it. really nice to think about a lot of other things, <laughs> but uh, um, but right now we're just going to focus on on making our cheese well and and selling it all (laughs) absolutely absolutely we're working on that end of it too (laughs) um 
Well, uh, I don't know. It seems like it might be a good time to take a little break. And when we come back, we can chat a little bit more about um, Springbrook Farm and the other excellent work that you guys do there in addition to making tasty cheese. So stay with us. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays at noon, on the Heritage Radio Network. And we're back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. And our guest today is Jeremy Stevenson, a cheesemaker at Springbrook Farm. Um, If you have questions for us, uh, we are in a constant collection of questions for a reader response show that we're going to do at some point when we gather lots of interesting (laughs) questions. Um, But you can email us uh, at info at heritageradionetwork.com. Um, and uh, we look forward to, to hopefully answering some of your yeah. cheesy queries. Um, so we wanted to lead off the second half of the show talking about the other side of Springbrook Farm, the side that uh, makes the or, or that it lives in conjunction with the cheese. Um, Springbrook Farm is also a foundation, uh, Farms for City Kids, that does a lot of great work um, bringing kids from cities up to the farm and doing different farm activities to sort of um, help them develop different skills than they would learn in their in their normal environment. Um, so, Jeremy, can you tell us a little bit about the foundation? Who started it and how it got uh, how that got out of, off the ground? Yeah, um, the Farms for City Kids Foundation was founded about. 14 years ago by Jim and Carly Hagedorn, who have um, been consistent, reliable supporters of, of it and and believe in, in the mission of the Farms for City Kids Foundation deeply. So um, the the idea, as, as the, if the education director, Rob Macri, were here, he'd explain that um, there are really, th- th- if you were to take three key goals of of the educational program on the farm which is which is essentially what 
what the foundation was started to promote. Uh, he'd say first it's to give these um, students an experience which shows them the value of teamwork and cooperation. Underst- learn, go into an, a setting outside, you know, and away from their normal environment and and learning about each other in a new place and developing a, a greater respect for each other and understanding strengths and weaknesses. And uh, so that's one. Uh, another one would be to foster an understanding of agriculture and the environment and how the two relate, um, how important the two are to the food we eat and and making a connection for the students between something they see on a grocery store shelf and the earth you know making making that real to to kids it's a pretty big leap i mean if you've just you know when yeah shopping in the supermarket to you know being on your farm it's uh yeah yeah i didn't make that connection until i was like 24 that's that's what i was just thinking you know and when I was that age, we had outdoor ed, which was basically like a ropes course that they took us <laughs> for, to, for maybe two days. But I was wondering, could you tell us maybe some of the, the tasks and activities that they do on the farm? Yeah, the kids show up on a Monday, um, and they leave on a Friday. When they show up on Monday, they get off a bus, and uh, they're usually not in a vehicle again for that week. So, so they walk over to the dormitory, get settled in, get oriented. Uh, and then on on the on Tuesday they'll begin with what's a, a fairly uh, routine day. There's there's a general schedule that, that is followed by all of all of the classes that visit. Um, there are chores in the morning. Then there's some learning that they go back to the dorm and, and have a couple of hours of discussion and you know various activities that they do. In, in more of a classroom setting and then back out to do more chores and uh, and then they're, they're, so the day is divided into activities and, and the activities vary with the seasonal activities of the farm. Probably the most consistent thing um, is the cheese aging room. So they, they quite often come in and help with aging in the, uh, in the cheese house. Mm-hmm. And then they they also have meals. <laughs> yeah, no. they they get up, do chores, they go back, have breakfast, then they have a classroom session, right. and so they do. They get sounds sounds pretty good yeah, to me. Yeah. I want to sign up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do they usually respond to to the week? I mean, it, I I could foresee some kids kind of retaliating against the idea of you know daily chores, or do you think it's something that they embrace because because it's so much outdoor time? No, I think that sometimes it's really hard for them. Yeah, and I mean that that's part of the process, you know, of, of um, teaching them that that you have to, in order to make food, you have to do work, and that work happens every day. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're tired or not. Things have to be done. Animals need to be taken care of. And the seasons are relentless. You know, they come and go, and you have to do certain things at certain times. So right. um, they, they react uh, in different ways, but, but at the end of the week, I think they have a tremendous feeling of accomplishment. And I visited sure. a few of their kind of wrap-up sessions where they have an awards ceremony, and every, every child is recognized for something special 
that they've accomplished during the week. And, you know, they all have different experiences. And so, uh, yeah, they, uh, I, think, I think they go away having, uh, with a great sense of accomplishment. Because uh, it's it's a big culture shock and it's a big change. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and even just the aging alone, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what they do. Because you know, I find it difficult to lift a whole wheel of Tarantez sometimes. It's uh, they're not small cheeses. Um. Well, yeah, they're they're fifth and sixth graders, and you'd be amazed at how how well they do with it. Wow. But that's where you know, teamwork comes in, and if, if quite often if one student's having difficulty. Uh, for whatever reason, turning a wheel, um, others will come over and help, and that's, you know, that's part of what happens. And you know, we don't rely on them to do uh, a really good job at, at <laughs> what they're doing. We assume right. that they might get close to it. Uh, you know, so we we don't rely on them for uh, labor. You might, it's cer- <laughs> certainly not um, not in our plans, but but we definitely want them to experience the work and get a sense of that. Um, and so would you say that education is more based on those kinds of like community experiences or, you know, sort of, um, like you said, teamwork? Do you guys focus um, at all on sort of the bio- biology and the, you know, uh, and the science end of cheese making with them? Or is it more just about the experience of, of doing work on the farm? The ed staff is very skilled at reading a group and, and, figuring out pretty quickly early on in the week what's going to really click with with a given mm-hmm. mix of kids so some kids are very science oriented you know mm. some kids want numbers they want right. to know the yield on the cheese they're very interested in all that for other kids math just doesn't work so I maybe was one you, of those yeah, kids. you know yeah. maybe you just go go into uh, social history or you can talk about the microbes and the cheese and maybe that's going to wake wake up a lot of thoughts and a lot of interest I, I i tell you they they do get fascinated by that microbiology once you start yeah checking in sure. with them about it i mean they get that there it, it's explained to them as they come in the door we have a nice uh viewing windows that they can look down on the make room through and uh the ed staff will explain to them all the basics of cheese making so they never look at a wheel of cheese or a piece of cheese the same again. I would, I would reckon. Yeah. Well, and, and these are fifth and sixth graders. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great that's a great age. Yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah, on the on the on the cusp of junior high, but not quite there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you know, they come into the just coming into the aging room, at the smell hits them. You know, yeah, it's mm-hmm. very what? What are those reactions like? Well, <laughs> they run the gambit, you know, and sometimes one of them ends up sitting out in the hallway for whatever yeah. reason. But there's a lot of mold in there too, you know. That um, at my store at the Essex Market, yeah, there are a lot of interesting comments when kids walk by. Yeah, they're really honest, you know. Oh yeah, they tell you what they think. Yeah, and uh, uh, but you know, and they work with the oldest of the cheeses, so we don't expect them to work with with our younger wheels which are very delicate and you know take a lot of precise care but you know when a wheel's eight nine months old it's 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 a it's it's pretty just fine for them to turn the wheel we just don't want them to drop it on their toes yeah (laughs) right that's really cool though cheese as lens for you know any subject you can imagine yeah i mean i think i think a lot of food kind of fits that that bill a little bit which is a nice thing about visiting a farm for a week 
if you're, yeah. a, if you're a student. Now, when I see them um, in there, it makes me realize how strong the the basic concept is. Mm. That you know the that what the Hagedorns got going there was uh, you know it's, it's gone on all this time, and it's it may not have always had cheese. The cheese has only been there three years, but kids have been experiencing this last year we had 800 children um each of them spending about a week at a time so and so how did the Hagedorns decide to make that leap from having an educational farm to making cheese well i i'm i think that they wanted to make cheese for sure but uh and i think there were a lot of happy coincidences so you know i think the putnams at thistle hill had been having great success with their cheese and felt that there was a, you know, that more could be sold, but they weren't going to expand their farm at that time. And uh, there were some connections there, you know, the the folks knew each other that somehow. And um, so the two farms came up with this idea of having a second cheese at, at Springbrook Farm. And I think, you know, that there was also um, an economic component there, but I, you know, uh, I think more it was uh, a question of adding to the educational mission. I mean, it really enhances what's going on there with the education and uh, uh, the investment that it takes to to um, produce a, a good cheese is is really quite a lot, and so. Well, I it's, think it's you not a big, quick money maker, but we're going to hope we hope to make good economic sense of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it seems like you guys are on the right track. I mean, yeah. um, at the American Cheese Society Awards last year, you guys got quite some accolades. I forget was it just was it best in show or was it number one overall in your category? I, I, I'm we, sorry, I can't remember. <laughs> we, we got first in our category and third place best of show. So there were. Two other cheeses. Oh right, Pleasant at, Ridge at Pleasant won Ridge. again for like the third time in ten years. <laughs> they yeah. got they got first best of show, and um, Allison Hooper and Vermont uh, Creamery yeah. got a second, and we got the third, and we were just um, delighted. I mean, it was fantastic, but it, it's I I certainly don't take full credit for that. I take you know we were set up very well, and I was taught very well. By a French cheesemaker who was hired to train me, and he's he's devoted to what we're doing as well. <laughs> so, well, that was actually that was my next question. What was your agricultural yeah. education like? Did you grow up having access to agriculture as a kid, and how did you get into cheese in in the first place? Well, I. we moved a lot when I was a kid, and so at times we actually lived out in the country and near water and farms and so i had a taste of that but we also lived in the city at times um i've always loved being around farms but i've I've also always worked with my hands and so about 10 years ago um i decided that i was not going to be a blacksmith anymore and uh (laughs) started getting into uh you know, becoming aware of high quality foods and and that led to spending a year in Italy and later on I was doing some importing and after that working with a distributor. So 
then the the opportunity to work at Springbrook Farm came up, and I was really happy to get that opportunity. And that's when I learned about cheese making. Wow! And so and so, tell us about um, about your consultant. I mean, I think it's a really fantastic yeah. and smart thing mm-hmm. um, for a cheesemaker to do because, like you said, it's based on centuries of tradition, and it's not it's not easy. So yeah, no, that's what um, impressed me a lot about the Putnams when I. F- first met them and, and saw their operation is that they, they had gone um, to France and, and they didn't try to copy a cheese but they tried to learn something from people that had a great deal of knowledge and um, Alex Pellissier came to work with them early on uh, and I think they made cheese together for a short time and, and then he certainly had a lot more time with me um, I think six years later seven years later when the Springbrook operation started so Alex was trained um, both in school there but also uh, worked up in the Alpage uh, making Beaufort so uh, you know his family is a farming family in the Alps and uh, uh, they're dairy farmers but can't ask for much better you know background than that for phenomenal and i i just related to all that so much because of my experience in italy and and kind of where i was sort of awakened to you know (laughs) to the 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 beauty of cheese yeah um well so and what are i don't know i'm sure you've learned a bazillion things from alex but can you can you point out maybe one or two things that that i don't know you that surprised even you after having had experience uh selling cheese before um well i i'd have to say that his approach well well, the way he would put it is that what we do is we as cheesemakers of an artisanal product a product a traditional product like this we adapt to the milk we don't adapt the milk to us so that is a huge distinction between the cheeses being made by most small cheesemakers in this country and in Europe. Um, we're, we're not tweaking our milk so that we can add, add certain ingredients and then walk away from it. And um, we're going to work with you know, the vicissitudes, the, the variations that, that occur through, through the season. So that, you know, that's a key yeah, that's a that's a key pretty point big that he shift. makes. Yeah, and and I think also it isn't a recipe. I I, I generally don't say that we have a cheese making recipe. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have pretty standard procedure and standard ingredients, but we have to feel our way through each make. You know, we got to know when to cut the curd <laughs> and uh, and when it's cooked. You know, right? Yeah, and. Uh, so so there's a lot of learning that you, you that is all about the feeling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a I don't know if that answers your question, but Oh no, that's yeah, no, that's a that's a perfect answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um well, I feel like uh Sophie, did you have other questions? Oh, you know what I wanted to ask? I wanted to ask um because actually we're we're getting a little bit short on time. How do people find out about yes. the program and how do they apply? And yeah, those um, are two. website farmsforcitykids.org. farmsforcitykids.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which um is quite informative and SBF cheese 
org as well is a cheese website we're actually about to uh revamp our web presence and the two will be merged (laughs) and cheese will be a page on the overall farm website um cool and uh so so that's that's probably the best way to find out about it Okay, great. And then, um, can anybody apply? Is it uh, is the application done by teachers, parents? On the website, you'll find information about applying. It's not. It's generally it's for schools, right? So, um, so we can't go. Yeah, maybe we can. <laughs> no, you, can you can come and visit. Okay. And, uh, fifth grade. Yeah. Uh, but no, you you couldn't just put together. Well, I won't say <laughs> anything. I think we should talk to our ed no, director I'm just and. Uh, <laughs> I know where to you know, find him. He's a Jack. creative guy. Yeah. I'm sure he can yeah. <laughs> come up with way. some uh, way of uh, doing. We'll just retake I think, like algebra or something. And yeah, get a, there get you in go. A class and go. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it's it's geared to school kids. And mo- by the way, most of them are from uh, New York and Boston. Um, though we we welcome. I know he welcomes uh, applicants from all over. It's uh, we. This is a service that's paid for by the farm. Um, by the foundation we don't ask the schools to pay anything other than transportation to the farm wow so i think well it's funny i just think you know it's an it's an awesome amazing mission i I almost i think though that like this kind of education could be useful for kids of all ages i can think of plenty of plenty of adults who would who would also really benefit from that kind of work yeah like it's an eye it's an eye opener yeah no it's it's uh it's it's great you know it raises awareness of food and what we're doing with our land yep yep absolutely well sophie what do you think did you have any other questions that was it just the the contact information was pretty important so that's good got that ready to go yeah i can give you a phone number um, sure. Yeah. Why the heck sure. not? Your your phone's going to be ringing off the yeah. hook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> our our general phone number at the farm is eight zero two four eight four one two three six. One two three six. All right. Well, um, hopefully we have some parents listening in out there that can uh, take advantage of this and get their kids involved in a program yeah. uh, in the future. But, um, well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for taking time to be on the show. In the studio. In the it's great exciting. to be here. I know. It's so <laughs> exciting. And for bringing these gorgeous cheeses. Yes. Um, can't, wait to, can't wait to try. Well, we will be back next Monday with another episode of Cutting the Curd. Until then, I don't know, be cheesy. <laughs> You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. And now here's some behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer.
On MeetingPlace.com this week, uh, Lisa M. Keefe, one of their principal writers, published the following article about the USDA's child nutrition program. She reports that on Tuesday, the USDA began implementing new rules that are intended to put more locally grown agricultural products on school children's plates. Part of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010, which was signed by President Obama in December, the rules allow schools and other providers to, quote, give preference to unprocessed locally grown and locally raised agricultural products when buying food for the national school lunch, school breakfast, special milk, child and adult care, fresh fruit and vegetable, and summer food service programs. Quote, this rule is an important milestone that will help ensure that our children have access to fresh produce and other agricultural products, said Agriculture Undersecretary Kevin Concanon in a news release. It will also give a much-needed boost to local farmers and agricultural producers. This is Katie Kiefer for behind-the-scenes food news. Did you know we have a beer show? Check out a small clip from Beer Sessions Radio. All right, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, and I'm here with Ray Dieter from the DBA Bars. Hey, Jim. Ray, this is a fun show. We're drinking Belgian beer. We're drinking Ictagum. Hanging out with the guys from 124 Rabbit Club. We got uh, Don and Wendy from Van Berg and the Wolf. Well, let's go back a little bit to, to kind of build your pedigree. So the two of, the, two of your top brands that we love and that you have now, Scaldis and Saison DuPont. Yeah, exactly. Tell us uh, how you met those guys, how you started working with them. Well, Saison DuPont was really... that. Was if you want to hear more, head over to HeritageRadioNetwork.com where new episodes of Beer Sessions are posted every week in our archive. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. In the next few weeks, Heritage Foods USA will be offering an interesting variety of amazing products, ranging from top quality seafood to their famous pork cuts. At the end of May, the Heritage team will go up to Maine to harvest fresh lobster with sustainable lobstermen. These delicious lobster are a perfect way to kick off the summer season. In the pork department, Heritage Foods USA will offer the maple-cured, smoked, boneless Heritage ham at an unbeatable price. This offer won't last long, so get them while you can. Place your order today at HeritageFoodsUSA.com or call 718-389-0985. That's 718-389-0985 to place your order with Andrea or Ashley. And don't forget to sign up for the email list and to check them on Facebook and Twitter to get in on their new products, deals, and offers from Heritage Foods USA. 